Hello, folks, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Video Game Mythos. My name is Ryan, and today we are going to go nuclear. In the early hours of October 23rd, 2077, the world, as everyone knew it, ended. Missiles and bombs rained from the sky, engulfing the world in flames. In an event that would become known as the Great War, cities and nations fell, and humanity descended into a nuclear dark age. Many believed it was the end of human civilization, but instead, it was simply the beginning of a new and bloody chapter. Thank you for tuning in to Diamond City Radio, the radio of the Commonwealth since 2020. Although the events of the Fallout universe and the real world diverge around the mid-1940s, the defining moment of the Fallout universe was the Great War of 2077. Dwindling petroleum resources led to a series of regional wars for resource control, and economies began to fold as nations were left without this vital lifeline. Alternative sources of energy were explored, which did lead to the maturation of nuclear fission technology, as well as various innovations in solar and hydroelectric power, and even nuclear fusion. But none of these were sufficient to serve the global population's ever-growing needs. With the available resources of crude oil in the world constantly diminishing, the communist government and the People's Republic of China declared war on the United States, invading Alaska and for the few remaining resources of oil there. The Sino-American War raged for 11 years, eventually culminating in a nuclear exchange between China and the United States. Both nations had built up a huge stockpile of nuclear weapons, and the mutual attack drew in enemies and allies from all around the world, igniting every hatred forged throughout the century-long Cold War. Although the conflict lasted only two hours, the destruction it brought was staggering and complete. More energy was released in the early moments of the exchange than in all previous global conflicts combined. This global nuclear conflict came to be known as the Great War. The world that remained was harsh and unforgiving. Ninety years after the Great War, humanity struggled to survive. On the surface, bandits and organized thugs fought over the crumbling remains of once great cities. And mutants crawled the irradiated wastes. Underground, a fortunate few enjoyed the relative safety and comfort of the vaults, designed before the war with the proclaimed purpose of protecting residents and their descendants from the nuclear annihilation. Some planned to keep the world out, others sought to connect with and repopulate the outside. Wherever humanity survived, it was under constant threat by ravenous mutants, rogue machines, vicious raiders, and all manner of hostile mutant creatures. 
The collapse of global civilization made it impossible to ascertain the full extent of the damage brought by the nuclear bombs. As viewed from orbit, there were clear signs of a global catastrophe, and much of the world's oceans were tinted green by radiation. The Great War's enduring legacy was the radiation that spread in its wake. Many of the plants and animals that survived the nuclear fire were killed by the irradiated rain that fell a week later. Of those that survived, many were mutated by 2080. The American mainland was reduced to a wasteland. Most major American cities, with a few exceptions such as Pittsburgh and Las Vegas, were razed by the bombs. Even the surviving cities were reduced to hellish ruin as society rapidly disintegrated. Although the vaults were never intended to preserve the entire American population, enough of their residents and technology survived for them to jumpstart civilization when they opened. While most areas were bombed, some areas like Appalachia, New Vegas, and Zion Canyon were left mostly intact compared to other areas in the rest of the world, some locations had odd effects after the bombs fell, such as Big MT having no mountaintop, or the Sierra Madre having a strange mist shrouding the landscape, and the island itself being covered in some sort of radioactive fog. New California benefited the most from the early openings of the vaults. Vault 12 established Necropolis in Bakersfield. Eight years later, Vault 8 established Vault City in Western Nevada. In the following year, the LA Vault established Boneyard in Los Angeles. 50 years later in 2142, former residents of Vault 15 established Shady Sands, northwest of Necropolis. The Mojave Wasteland was another incubator for civilization. This was due in no small part to Robert House's preparations. His secret missile defense systems ensured that Las Vegas and the surrounding desert were hit by fewer bombs than anyone else in the region. As time passed, the city was rebuilt through the combined efforts of House, the local tribals, and the residents of Vault 21. The infrastructure was so far advanced that by 2281, it was, according to House, within a century of being able to launch a colonization spaceship. In the east, the capital wasteland was also left surprisingly intact. Although unable to compete with the more advanced societies of the West, it was nonetheless able to support a local radio station, cavern routes, and a large-scale water purification plant. Similarly, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and Boston were left relatively unharmed, being stuck with only a single high-yield nuclear weapon in an area that became known as the Glowing Sea. Like the Capital Wasteland, it too supported caravan infrastructure, regional radio broadcasts, and other such amenities. Appalachia was left largely unaffected by the bombs. That's right, home state of West Virginia. Aside from the mutations and radiation, most areas look very similar to the pre-war counterparts. False. Actually, they look nothing like the actual real-life cities, but the lore does go to say that the Appalachian Mountains were indeed a source of shelter for the radiation that wreaked havoc on the world after the bombs fell. As these regions rose from the ashes, so too did new societies. 
the new California Republic was established in 2186 and would control all of New California a century later. The Brotherhood of Steel was founded days after the Great War and would become a technological powerhouse by 2150. The Enclave, descendants of the United States government and military-industrial complex, made its presence felt in New California in 2237 and then in the Capital Wasteland in 2277. The Rome-obsessed slavers of Caesar's Legion arose in 2247, forged from the conquest of 87 tribes and would control most, if not all, of Arizona and New Mexico, along with some holdings in eastern Utah and parts of southern Colorado. While very little is known of the world beyond the former United States, things seem to be significantly worse in Great Britain and Ireland than in North America as inhabitants of the Isles often immigrate to the American wastelands in search of fortune, opportunity, and a better life. But a better life is not what they found. Instead, radiation led to the spontaneous rise of many new species at least three years after the bombs fell. These new species were larger, hardier, and more dangerous than the animals and insects from which they mutated. From scorpions came rad scorpions, giant, the size of two or three men. Giant ants mutated from normal household ants, which were, as the name describes, giant. And, of course, Brahmin, which, of course, is a large, two-headed, inverted skin cow. Beautiful sight to behold. Animals weren't the only thing to get exposure from the radiation and mutate. Some humans possessed particular genetic traits, and they were mutated into ghouls. Varying degrees of exposure gave rise to some diversity within the ghoul community. Ghouls exposed to prolonged radiation poisoning lost their intelligence and mutated into feral ghouls. Longer periods of radiation exposure resulted in further degradation into glowing ones. Ghouls with heightened physical capabilities who literally glue in the dark, hence the name. The remainder of mutations were caused by a virus called FEV, Forced Evolutionary Virus. Its origins lie in the years preceding the Sino-American War. In an effort to defend against a Chinese biological attack, defense contractor Westech initiated the Pan-Immunity Virion Project. The goal was simply to make the human immune system strong enough to resist any pathogen, natural or engineered. Some of the side effects discovered during testing were increased size and strength. The U.S. Army seized the project in an effort to create, you guessed it, a super soldier. They moved the project to the Mariposa military base located in Mariposa, California. They also sent a large sample to Vault 87 on the East Coast as part of the Vault experiment. Following the Great War, Mariposa was abandoned, the surviving leadership having left to form the Brotherhood of Steel. After lying dormant for 30 years, the base was rediscovered by Richard Morrow, an exile from Vault 8. After realizing that the FEV could be used to create super mutants, he attempted to raise an army, but was defeated by the Vault Dweller. That means you, you're the Vault Dweller. Thank you for saving the wastelands once again. Using slave labor from those kidnapped from a nearby town known as Redding, the Enclave excavated Mariposa. Those slaves inadvertently exposed to the FEV mutated into a new batch of super mutants. On the East Coast, the FEV sent to Vault 87 was used to create 
that area's own variety of super mutants. Sheldon Delacroix, a Vault 87 security officer, was forcibly exposed to FEV and mutated by it. While the mutation process took away much of his intelligence, he was, astoundingly, able to reclaim much of it by studying the Vault's database. The FEV also made it into the hands of Weston Lesko, who inadvertently, but tragically, used it to mutate giant ants into fire ants. And although the wasteland does have a vast variety of stories and intricacies behind every little piece of land and every structure across the American wastes, it all can harbor its own little set of doom. I think at a time like this, it's important for us to take a step back and understand that through no avenue other than the human imagination and the human's ability to tell stories, we have given ourselves plenty of reasons to not go to war to this level. We must learn from our imagination, and we must not send the nukes when the time comes. Thank you folks for listening to this episode of Video Game Mythos. It has been a pleasure to bring you this content proudly provided to you by 13 Palm Trees Podcast Productions. My name is Ryan. If you have a suggestion for a topic you would like us to cover, feel free to email me, ryan at 13palmtrees.com. And once again, I would like to thank you for listening to Video Game Mythos.